Turn with me, if you would, to God's Word this morning. We're still in the book of Malachi. And I hope you've been finding this as exciting as I have, just as you discover new truths. And as I've said before so many times, the book of Malachi is not just about tithing. It's about all kinds of things. And we're going to see how this book speaks to us today about our marriage relationships before the Lord. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates And divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Marriage is under attack today. I just saw an article in the paper this week how in New Zealand the number of people who are getting married is on the decline. And marriage itself comes under attack constantly. The statistics for Christians who are getting divorced is not too much different from that of non-Christians today. And that is a sad fact. But I think we must just stand still today and not be overwhelmed by these things. There is hope. We as Christians have hope if we are married before the Lord and if we live lives that are worthy of Him, we are protected. And we need to hear God's word this morning. In a recent blog, Tim Sisserich, head of Focus on the Family in New Zealand, wrote this. Listen to the statement from him. Couples who attend church nearly every week read their Bibles and spiritual materials regularly Those who pray privately and together generally take their faith seriously and live not as perfect disciples, but serious disciples. They enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than mere church members, the general public and unbelievers. And other data suggests a significant marital stability divide between those who take their faith seriously and those who do not. It's about taking your faith seriously. And then in response, someone called James, and I hope it's not a James that's here, but James wrote this reply, and listen to the sad cry from this person's heart in response to what Tim said. This is what James says, For me, the important thing is not the label of being married, but the idea of being happy in a long-term committed relationship. 
If I drift away from my wife and we simply cannot find happiness any longer, I don't see the point in staying married just so we can say we never divorced. I always felt we must aim for a middle ground. There's his problem. People change over time and I don't believe in eternal love. I believe everything has an end one day. I wonder how secure his wife felt in her marriage. Is today the day that he's had enough and he's going to walk away? What a sad, pragmatic attitude. But it's a very general attitude out there today. And you might have that same attitude about your relationship with your husband or your wife. Back in Malachi chapter 2, we saw last time that God's people were breaking covenant with each other as God's people. And they were breaking covenant with the Lord. How were they doing that? They were marrying heathen women. Women from across the border. And these heathen women were importing their gods and they were importing their idol worship into their homes and so into the nation of Israel. And this was causing a general apostasy, a falling away from the way of God. It was causing a general compromise in the people's worship of God. And God warns these people that they would be cut off from fellowship with Him and also from the blessings that God brings to those who are in fellowship with Him. So that was the warning. And the prophet calls the people back to worship God alone and not those idols that they have erected in their hearts. You see, when there's sin in our lives and we don't deal with sin, then no goodness can result from that. And so these men were marrying these women from across the border. This is the unmarried men were marrying these ladies and bringing this influence into the nation. They hadn't dealt with the sin of lust, the sin of disobedience to God. And so... It didn't lead to goodness. It led to something worse. And today we come to what it leads to. It led to false penitence in the first place. Verse 13. The prophet Malachi says to them, look in your text, he says, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. You see, these people were coming into temple worship. They were coming before the Lord, but not with true repentance in their hearts. They were introducing pagan-style worship into the temple. You see, the tribes around the nation of Israel had these rituals of mourning that they would keep to. If they wanted to grab the attention of their gods, their deities, they would go into their temples, their places of worship, and they would weep, they would groan, they would cry. It was all done ritually to bring the God back from the dead so that their crops would be more fertile, so that he would listen to the cries of the people. But this was pagan worship. And under the influence of all these ladies who were coming in from the tribes next to Israel, this worship was now coming into the temple. And the priests were allowing it in. They were imitating the tribes around them. And yes, it might have been attractive to these new style worshippers who were in the temple, but it was totally unacceptable to the Lord. 
God says to them, I'm not dead. Your tears and your weeping and your groaning, all your melodramatics, don't impress me at all, says the Lord. I do not regard your offering. In other words, I don't see it. I don't acknowledge whatever you bring to me because your heart is wrong before me. I don't accept your offering at all. What was the Lord saying to them? He was saying to them, you know what you've done wrong, you people. You know why I'm not answering your prayers. In vain you say to me, why doesn't he answer our prayers? You know why I don't answer. And yet you think, if you can make enough melodramatic drama while you come to me in worship, I will change my mind and endure your sin. I'm a holy God. Has anything else changed today? Is God any less holy today than he was those hundreds of years ago? No, God still hates sin. With the same passion he hated sin, the first time sin entered into this world. God won't change his standards of holiness to suit us while we chase after the lusts and the temptations and the delights and the morally corrupt offerings of this world. God won't change his holiness for us. It's us who need to change. You and I need to change when we come before the Lord, not God. And now I'm going to speak between brackets. In many of our so-called seeker-sensitive services, we try and make unbelievers feel comfortable by diluting the message we bring, because it might offend. By watering down the challenge of the gospel message itself. How do we do that? By saying, sin? We hardly mention sin. By saying that there is no literal hell, when the Bible says there is. By downplaying the need of salvation as a way to be made right with God. They downplay it. By emphasizing the good bits about Christianity. And by doing that, it becomes just another advert. We've done away with the true message of the gospel. Because we want to make people feel at home in our church services. And this is exactly what these priests were doing in the temple. Making these new style worshippers, pagan worshippers, feel at home in the temple. In our, in our services today, I don't know about in New Zealand, I definitely know about in America, because I've seen this myself. They make these services like gigs in the world. Massive bands, plenty of entertainment, and now the latest thing is you invite superstars to the services, because that will attract the people. Well, that makes sense. Imagine what God says about that. Nothing different. It's unacceptable to Him. God says to them, No, worship me my way. I am holy. I am Almighty God. That is why I do not regard your offerings. You are worthless human beings who try and change me when I am a holy, almighty God. I am God. You are humanity. So why did the Lord withdraw His favor from them? Because they were bringing Him false worship in the temple. But that wasn't all. You see, that sin wasn't dealt with, and it leads to something else. It goes deeper. It goes worse. This is what it was leading to. They were breaking their marriage covenants now. Verse 14. This is what He says in the text. 
But you say, why does he not? Just imagine the impertinence of that question. Why doesn't the Lord listen to our prayers? And then the prophet says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You see, the unmarried men were going across the board and fetching these ladies directly against God's instructions. But this was spreading out. This attitude was going to the married men in Israel. And they were now starting to divorce their own Jewish wives, their own wives under God's covenant, and they were putting them away to also go and look for these younger women, these exciting women from across the border. Because of the love of self. Remember we spoke last week about idols in the heart? There was a massive idol in their heart. Because of their love of self and their chasing after the lust of their own bodies, these married men were divorcing their wives and marrying younger heathen wives. And the Lord reminds them through the prophet, I have been witness to your initial marriage, to your covenant wife, says the Lord. And that marriage is an agreement before the Lord. It is rooted in the rock of the covenant loyalty, not in the sand of emotional and physical satisfaction. And those two reasons are big reasons why people get married today. We feel compatible. Ah, he puts stars in my eyes. We are physically satisfied with each other. Those are reasons people get married. And God calls us as believers back to his reasons. He says this is a covenant agreement between God when you get married. You see, marriage is a three-way affair. And I use that deliberately. Marriage is a three-way affair. It's the only God, one man, and one woman involved. And the Lord says, I was witness to that covenant. When you said those words before your wife and before the Lord and before the church gathered there, I take you to be my wife, those weren't just words, but an actual covenant with God. And in my case, 23 years ago, I said those words before the Lord when I married my wife, Alice. God was there at that ceremony. He was not just a passive onlooker, just seeing us and saying, well, that's nice. God wasn't doing that. He was actively involved in us making that covenant. By him being a witness there, God made that union a union. Otherwise, it's just two people saying things to each other. That is what Christian marriage is all about. God is actively involved. He brought the marriage about. And that is why I couldn't care two hoots about signing on the dotted line and then you're married. No, it's the marriage before the Lord that counts. The signing on the dotted line is a piece of paper you need to do to be legal. The Lord says, you have been faithless to the wife of your youth. You've been faithless, in other words, to your first love. How often today don't we hear that? Men reach a certain age, seems to be, midlife, and there they go, looking for the younger woman. More excitement in their lives. When right before, of them, right before them, they have their first love. That one that they loved when they saw them. And they committed their lives to in the first place. The Lord says, you have been faithless 
to your first love. You have driven the nail through that contract that was between you. We saw what that meant last time. You have nullified that contract. Even though your first love was your companion, says our text. She was your companion. She was your best friend for a time. That's why you married her. You were no longer alone when you married her. She became your co-worker. She became mutual support for you. And so you drive a nail through your human responsibility, says the Lord. But notwithstanding that, you drive a nail through the covenant with you and your wife of the covenant. And so you break your responsibility before the Lord as well. And so they were breaking the Christian covenant because of the sin that was infiltrating the nation. Thirdly, we look at what God meant for marriage. Verses 15. And here I'm speaking today about Christian marriage. God is not speaking about non-Christian marriage. You see, as unbelievers, it doesn't matter what people say to each other because their hearts are still wrong before the Lord. So they need to deal with sin in their lives and they need to come to um, a place of repentance and to find new life in the Lord. It doesn't matter whether they are married or not married. But Christians, it it matters. God's intent for Christian marriage is found in verse 15. He says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Was he seeking for you just to be together? No, he was seeking godly offspring. We'll get to that now. So God's design was, he made them one. And that goes way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. They became one flesh. God makes them one flesh. He takes two individuals and he makes them one flesh before him. And also, look at that text. He gave them a portion of the Spirit in the union. Now, I've read that plenty of times. And I've married two couples, but I've never seen that. And so, as pastors, we also learn. God gives them a portion of the Spirit in their union. What does that mean? It means that when God starts that union between a man and a woman, Christian, two believers, He imparts life to them through His Spirit. God puts His blessing on that marriage. He breathes life into it, as God breathes life into those dry bones in Ezekiel. God takes two individuals, He blesses them in marriage, and He breathes life, spiritual life, into that marriage. In other words, He gives them a divine kickstart. And then, unfortunately, the minute they married, sin intervenes. And the attack starts. And as a couple, they either attack that sin in their marriage, or they leave it and let the marriage slide. There's no middle ground. They either attack or it slides. And that's the warning we get from God's Word. Why does God give them this God start? What was God, this one God, seeking from them? Well, it's all about God's glory. He says, I want godly offspring from that couple. You see, it's not ultimately for selfish ends. A couple doesn't get married because they can now live happily ever after and all is going to be well. And we're really going to enjoy each other and travel around the world and just have a grand old time. That might come. But the reason for a godly marriage 
is so that you can have godly offspring. You see, God is thinking about His kingdom. He's thinking about His glory. The original couple, He said to them, fill the earth. In other words, they were to bring up children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And that brings God glory. His kingdom is extended. And there's a challenge to us as as, as married couples. If you have children, what are you doing about bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? It is your responsibility and my responsibility before the Lord. His honor is what we are looking at. You see, God had a God-glorifying intention by saying this to them. And we as mankind have a responsibility. God brings a warning too to the marriage relationship to those sinful individuals that God has put together. Here's the warning from God's Word found in our text, verse 15, the second half of it. This is what he says, and evaluate your own life now and what you are doing to look after your marriage if you're married here. This is what he says. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates or does not love, your version might say, the Hebrew word here is actually hates, the man who hates his wife and divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. And then he repeats his instruction, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now I want you to pay attention, whether you're married or unmarried, it doesn't matter, the attack on you comes the same way. It comes as an attack against your spirit, your heart, your soul. Scripture tells us here today, guard yourselves. You see, as soon as you get married, attack is inevitable. You see it on adverts, on TV. You look through a magazine and you see things there that can attack you. You look at a movie, you can hardly get through a movie today and there's something that will attack you. The media climb on and they have an anti-marriage stance. Look what happens when gay marriages come up. The media are all over it. And it's spread all over the newspapers. Marriage is under attack. So we need to guard ourselves. Attack is inevitable. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to be ready because attack will come. If you're a married couple here today, if it hasn't come already, I'd be surprised. Attack will come against your soul against your relationship. Guard yourselves in your spirit. You see, divorce is an inside job, and I use that deliberately too. It starts from inside us, this attack. The attack on marriage starts in our hearts. You see, it's our own sin inside of us that hasn't been dealt with, and it starts to grow, and it starts to get traction in our lives. And as we see things outside us, pictures, images, whatever it is, Those things add to what's already been happening inside me and it just makes it grow bigger and bigger. And if we don't deal with it, our spirit comes under extreme attack. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what do we allow ourselves to see and to think about? Because that's where the attack's going to come from. And the world will give us plenty of suggestions. Those of you who are on Facebook, They used to have this little thing you could click on. Connect with an old flame. I saw it. I didn't click on it, by the way. 
But what was it doing? It was saying to you, if you're part of this community on Facebook, you can go and press that little button and then look up one of those previous loves that you've had in your life. Now imagine if you're sitting there, you're feeling all alone, and whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter, and you see that little tempting button there, you might be tempted to press. And there you go, the attack on your soul has started. The attack on your marriage has started. Those of you who use Skype, you see these little ads coming up all the time. Hot Russian ladies, click here. Are you feeling lonely? And then they put the message in such a way that it will really appeal to someone who is lonely. And it's only a click away and then you're in communicating with someone. Do you see how we come under attack? And don't think because we are believers, we won't listen to that. There's sin in you and you will listen to that. And you need to guard your soul against these things. You see, the Bible says to us very clearly that thoughts inside of us grow. And thoughts inside of us, wrong thoughts, give birth to actions. And what starts just as a lustful thought, just as an innocent little contact, may grow into a conversation with someone online. And that might grow into, well, let's meet. We'll just meet for coffee. And then that might grow into a relationship, because that's how we put together as human beings. And that relationship will be outside of the one you currently have. You see how it grows in us? You see how we come under attack? Steve Green said it so beautifully in a song he wrote a few years ago called Guard Your Heart. Listen to these words. Young people, sit up and listen to these words. What appears to be a harmless glance can turn to romance and homes are divided. Feelings that should never have been awakened within Tearing the heart in two. Listen to me, I beg of you, says Steve. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't trade it for treasure. Don't give it away. Guard your heart. As a payment for pleasure, it's a high price to pay. Guard your hearts. Men in this church, guard your hearts. Ladies, guard your hearts. Don't give up that treasure. The prophet says, let none of you be faithless. It's a direct command to those people in Israel, but that direct command stands to you and I in this church, sitting here listening to this this morning. Don't be faithless. You either obey a command or you disobey a command. There's no middle ground. And how do we get this faithlessness? The text says, it is by hating your wife. And that literal word in the Hebrew is hating. Some versions might have by not loving. Well, that's hate. Because this is your first love we're speaking about. And then that leads a further step to divorcing. And then you get people who say, oh no, we can get divorced and we can still be friends. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says if you divorce your first love, you hate her. Otherwise you wouldn't do that. Don't be deceived by that little lie. And what are the direct consequences? You see, there are always consequences to sin. What are the consequences to the sin in this nation? The Lord says, the person who does this, 
He covers his garment with violence, says the Lord. In other words, he brings upon himself the curse of sin and being an abomination or literally a stench before the Lord. And very specifically, this person brings violence on himself. He brings violence on his new relationship instead of the blessing it should have. And he brings violence on his offspring, who are supposedly to be under the protection of, says our text, his garments. You see, in the Bible, when it speaks about spreading your cloak or your garments over someone, it means they come under your protection. And by disobeying the Lord here, says our text, the Lord says you bring violence on all those who are covered by your garments. You bring violence on your garments. Don't we see that so applicable today too? And I try and speak as gently as I can because I know people here have been through the situation and are still going through this. When people get divorced, not much good comes out of it. Generally, it brings violence in various forms. You see, the children see their parents fighting and then they see their parents divorcing. And what do the children learn? We can shout at each other, we can go mad and in the end, we don't have to make up we can go our separate ways. And they experience the hurt of that. And what do they learn? Well, when I get into a relationship one day, I can do the same. And so it carries on from one generation to the next. And that is the warning that the Lord brings. He says, you bring violence, you bring violence on your garments. It will carry on to the next generation. And this is why the Lord says it is serious. How do we know he's saying it's serious? He uses his name three times in various forms to emphasize what he's saying. Look at the end of that text there. Who says this? The Lord, Yahweh, Almighty God says this. He is also known as the God of Israel. He is also known as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the one who should be protecting you says, watch out, don't be faithless to your first love. Guard your spirits. Don't be faithless, says the Lord. And so what are some principles we can take from this passage today? Now you need to hear my heart this morning. I speak to you as a pastor and I know that people have been all over the spectrum of relationships. People sitting right here with us. And what I say to you this morning are supposed to be rods to support you in your life. Like when you get back surgery, they put rods in there to keep you up. So that is my heart. I'm not coming at you with spears to injure. It's not my job to do that. I allow the Holy Spirit to do His own surgery in your heart as He applies His Word to you. You see, we come from all over the spectrum of relationships in this church. Some of us are happily married and I know plenty of you. Some of you have broken off harmful or abusive marriages in your past. Some of you have never been married. Some of you are in difficult relationships with a believer. Some of you are believers who are married to unbelievers. Some of you are in the middle of breaking up a relationship, whether that's teenagers or whether that is adults. Some of you are planning on marrying an unbeliever. And some of you are, are planning on marrying a believer. We're all over the spectrum here this morning. The second thing I need to just say is this. 
that we live in a sin-affected world. There are consequences of sin. And those consequences of sin are real. They are damaging, they are abundant, and they are far-reaching into your life. And so this is important that we listen. And thirdly, we need to say that you are two sinners trying to live together. So those are the three things we've got to look at before we get any further in this. What does God say to us from the text this morning? You see, God's response to marriage remains the same. His response to marital strife remains the same today. He still says today, in 2011, I hate divorce. It is clear, it is unequivocal, God hates divorce. Why? And here's the reason. Because marriage is the, the marriage covenant is a mirror of Christ's covenant with the church. We read about that earlier in Ephesians chapter 5. That's why I brought that up specifically. Marriage is a mirror of what Christ is to the church. Will Christ break his covenant with his bride, the church? No. And when we as believers, I'm not speaking about unbelievers, when we as Christians divorce, we break the image of what is supposed to be unbreakable. And the world sees us, the world takes note, and God is not glorified. That is why God takes us seriously. And that's why God says, I hate divorce. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. Let's go and see what Jesus said on this matter. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And you might have heard those words before when you got married. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give it a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. You see, what Jesus was saying here is, no, God does not want you to get divorced. But, you are living in a sinful world. And this doesn't give you an excuse to now go and get divorced, says Jesus. The whole topic of sexual immorality was very serious, because a believer was joined to an unbeliever. And God says, you can't do that. How can darkness become part of light? But, says Jesus, you do live in a sinful world. But know God's heart, says the Lord. He doesn't want you to get divorced. It was not so from the beginning. It is your hardness of heart that allows you to do so. 
God's heart is the same as what Hosea the prophet had in Hosea chapters 1 to 3. You don't have to turn that now. And what did Hosea do? His faithless wife walked away and what did he do? He wooed her back. Even when she repeatedly went and sold herself to other men, he wooed her back. You see, that is God's heart. He woos back his unfaithful wife Israel. He woos back his unfaithful wife, the church today. And so God says to you and I as believers, see if you can patch things up first. And however hard, you have to be selfless in your love to your spouse. Win him or win her back first. Do the hard things. Why? For the Lord's sake, for your children's sake, for the world's sake, do it. For your own sake, do it. And then the Apostle Paul, and this is the last passage we'll turn to this morning. The Apostle Paul takes it one step further. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We look at that passage as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, that is I, not the Lord. Take note of that please. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In, each, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? What was the apostle saying here? He was saying, if you're in a relationship as a believer, and you are living with an unbeliever, and you can live together with your unbelieving husband or your wife, then live together for the sake of the Lord. Don't divorce. Some people have mistaken this passage and they've gone and got divorced because of that passage, even though their relationship was seemingly going. The Lord says, no, stay together. The only way you're allowed to get divorced as a believer is if the unbelieving partner decides they are going to walk out. Then the Lord says, then you are free to let them go. Do you understand that? We need to get that clear. Some people say that you can, un under no circumstances, get divorced. Well, the Bible says to us, you can, but only if the unbelieving partner walks away. As a believer, you are to remain faithful. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. You remain faithful. You, as a believer, do not walk away. You do not have that prerogative. Now, I quickly want to add to that this morning. What about if you're in, in an abusive relationship? Does this mean that you've just got to keep quiet? Definitely not. You need to see someone. 
You need to come and speak to the elders. You need to come and see a close friend. You need to go to the police. And get help for yourself. Get help for your offending spouse. But, believers, here it is. Be ready to stay there for them, to help them as far as you can through that process. You need to stay true as a believer. God has called you to stay with that person for better or worse. You can't walk away. It's hard, but it's God's word. And here is the comfort you can get from God's word if you are in these situations. The Lord says to us over and over and over in his word, and with these words I close, cast your cares on him. Cast your cares on him. Yes, you might have had this broken up relationship in the past, but cast your past on him too. Cast your cares on him. And while divorce might be unthinkable under most circumstances to believers, it is not the unforgivable sin. Listen to me today. If you've got this in your past, it is not the unforgivable sin. There is nothing you can do about the past except bringing it to the Lord. You can't undo the past. You see, all sin is serious. But no sin is greater than the cleansing power of Christ's death and His blood on the cross as we celebrated this morning. Our God is a loving God too. And yes, He hates divorce, but He invites you to throw yourself, your past, in totality on Him this morning. His sacrifice is sufficient to pay for all those broken family relationships. He can pay for them. It is just as sufficient to cover the debt of all those who are thieves, drunkards, debtors, those who are greedy and covetous. Sin is sin to the Lord. It is not the unforgivable sin. Bring yourself before the Lord and cast it on Him. And if you're in a difficult relationship as believers today, Bring your present difficult relationship to the Lord. All those niggles and things that really irritate you about your husband or your wife, bring them to the Lord. But here's the tip. Tackle those things early. Don't leave it and leave it and think it will go away. Sin will not go away. It will get bigger and larger in your life. And the consequences will get bigger and larger in your life too. Romans 3.23 says this, and take comfort in these, in these words. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, and there's a beautiful but in that from 1 Corinthians, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were set apart for God's use, you were justified, you were made right before God in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He is there to be in you and to help you through that situation. Take comfort today. All is not lost. Come before Him and receive forgiveness and honor His name. But deal faithfully with God first. Be faithful to Him first. doesn't matter what you're going through. Be faithful to God first. And then look at what God does in your relationship. And so he says to us this morning, guard your spirits. How do we guard our spirits? I've got four questions and we're through. How do we guard our spirits? Listen to these questions and do business with the Lord this morning. Ask yourself, men and women, is there anything that I'm doing that is exposing myself, that is exposing my family to an influence that can lead to a breakdown of relationships 
and even to the destruction of my family. Young men, what are you online doing? What are you watching? What are you watching on TV? Older men, what do you give to your mind to think about? And ladies, what are those relationships that you form because you might feel unloved? A question to the men directly. To the men of the church who are married. And you young men who are not married yet, listen to these, to this question because it affects you too. Are you a reliable or a trustworthy gatekeeper? Are you a trustworthy gatekeeper of your home? What do you allow into your home? Do you love your wife? I mean actively, do you show her love? Do you love your wife? Or does she feel that she needs to go elsewhere to be loved? And ladies, here's a question to you. How well do you know your husband? Do you know what he's doing? Do you know where he is? And I don't mean check up on every single thing. Do you know your husband? Do you make a point of keeping the communication between you two open? Yes, even though he grunts in reply. Do you keep the communication open between you? Because if you do, you will know him. We're not hard to understand. But if you don't, ladies, if you don't, then I'll tell you now, the slow fade has already started in your family. It has already started. Keep that communication open between you. Spend less time on Facebook speaking to others and maybe watch yourselves, and I'm speaking men and women here, for those casual flirting relationships at work. It's seen as a bit of a game. I used to be in the corporate sector. It seems a bit of a game. But it's not a game. It is a deadly serious thing. And then lastly, you may have been in a destructive marriage. And with this I want to bring you a bit of hope here. Those of you who have been in destructive marriages that have ended in divorce, you can't undo the past. But you can't allow the past to overshadow the rest of your life either. You see, God's grace is sufficient to enable you to put your past behind you and to move on. But the question is, have you poured out your past before Jesus Christ and then left it at the foot of the cross with Jesus or are you still trying to carry all those things with you? It will influence the rest of your life. It will influence any other relationship you might start as well. Look to the Lord. Trust Him. He wants good for you. And then to the church, all of us here today, my last word to you. Encourage each other to be faithful. Get around another couple. Get to know them. Get them into your home. See what they're up to. And I don't mean go and check on them. I mean get to know them. Encourage each other to be faithful to, your, to their husbands and to their spouses. We are to be accountable to each other. That's what true discipleship is all about. And then go further than that. Reach out to those who have been hurt in the past. And there are people here that have been hurt in the past. Reach out to each other. Include each other in your activities. Include each other in your families. Invite them to your homes. Let them participate with you as a family in what you do. Because they, they get lonely. People who have been through 
uh, marriage relationships that are broken and they're sitting on their own. They are lonely. And we need to be reaching out. We need to be including these people as well. The unmarried, the widows, the divorced, and our young people. Include them in your families. Show them Christ's love. Love as Jesus loved. Don't show compromise in your relationships. Don't take shortcuts. You've all heard the truth of God's word. Don't go and get divorced after this. You know the truth. God has proclaimed it. And guard your spirits. Be holy as God is holy. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, your word comes to us because you want us to hear the specific passage today. And Lord, as a pastor, I don't know why, but you know why. And Lord, I pray that as your Holy Spirit takes this word this week and works it in our hearts, that you will make attentive to us what we need to know. And that if there is sin in us, and there is in all of us, Lord, you would help us to have your Spirit do his surgery on us and to cut it out and not to let it grow in us because it will have consequences. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for those who are married here today. And I want to ask you, Lord, to protect those marriages with your blood. Protect them because you are almighty God. Lord, we do come under attack. Help us as husbands to love our wives and to watch what we allow into our homes. And Lord, as wives, help our ladies, Lord, to love their husbands, to know their husbands, and to stay in touch with their husbands as to where they are, and to look for their love inside their relationship. And Lord, as couples, help us as couples to go for help when we do need it. And not to think that these things will just go away. And, and Lord, I pray too for those who have been married and things have ended badly. Lord, I pray that you as our great God of love will comfort them and that you will show your plan to them day by day, Lord, as they seek to do your will first and as they stay faithful to you first. Lord, Show what you want to do with them. And may they continue to serve you with all their energy and with all their strength until you show them what's next. And Lord, I pray to for our young people, those who have to go into relationships, Lord, I pray that they would choose wisely and keep you at the forefront of their minds to do what you want first and not to follow the desires of their hearts first. We pray this because you're a merciful God and because your grace, Lord Jesus Christ, is sufficient for all these things. That is why we stand. And we stand in you. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Amen.